going on there? Who are they? We don't know exactly who they are, but we can make some guesses. If you were with us in the Galatians series, we talked about the Judaizers. Do you remember? This several years ago. But this was a group, and, and we need to remember that at this point in time, Christianity is a part of Judaism. They're not separate. They're not separate religions and all this. It's, it's a flavor. It's not like a denomination, but almost a little bit like how we understand denominations. It was a way that people understood Judaism was Christianity at this point. And so there was a group called the Judaizers who, who said, if you want to believe in Jesus and become what is known as a Christian, then you need to go through the door of Jewish faith. The way in is through Judaism. And so you need to be circumcised if you're not. You need to follow the food laws. You need to act Jewish, and then you can become Christian. And then there were other people, like Paul, who were like, that's crazy. You just have to believe in Jesus. That's it. And if you believe in Jesus, you're good. You don't have to go through all of this other stuff. And this was tension so much that we see in the book of Acts. A big council is pulled together, and, and people are deciding, what do we need to do? Does everyone need to behave the same way, or can we just come from wherever we're coming from? And there's this debate happening, and there's a really good chance that some of this rival teaching in Philippi is out of this kind of place. It's out of people who are saying, Paul's wrong. You need to, you need to act better, right? There's also some people who point out, Paul just seems prickly. He seems like if you're going to throw a backyard barbecue, he's not your first invite. If you're going to hang with a friend, it's probably not Paul. Like, he, he's just... He, he doesn't mind agitating. He's one of those people. So maybe there's even just some personality stuff. Maybe there's just jealousy. Maybe there's a little bit of first century prosperity teaching happening. Hey, he's in prison. He must not be doing this right. We don't really know the motive, but some of those kind of things are the reason that people are going around preaching Christ, but really at the same time, talking against Paul. Now here's, here's the point, and at the, at the same time as that, other people represented by Pastor Rob, a preacher Christ, and love Paul, right? And are saying we need to support Paul. And then there are other people who are represented by Stephanie there who are like, what are we supposed to do with this? And that's particularly who Paul is writing to here. But here's the point that I want us to get. What does proclaiming Christ have to do with what we think about Paul? What does that even have to do together? We're talking about Jesus. Why are we now talking about Paul, right? For us today, what does proclaiming Christ have to do with anyone but Christ and the people that we're talking to? This is a verse that we really need to sit in a little bit because I keep hearing things like this, not just from us, but like as I look back over the last 15 years, I hear things like, I talk about Jesus, not politics. I want to talk about the Bible. I don't want to talk about those people. And those people can be anybody, right? We're here to speak about the gospel, not speak about race or class or sexuality. Let my beliefs about Jesus be one thing, and let my thoughts 
about the border or other religions be, be another. Let me separate those out. But what we see from Paul is there is no proclamation of Christ that is absent of human implication. Let me say that again. There is no proclamation. There is no way that you can talk about Jesus that does not have implications for your neighbor. Simply by talking about Jesus, you are talking in a way that is either for or against the people you sit next to. That's, that's, what, this is, that's what this is saying. Paul is saying that there are some who are saying that they are for Jesus and against Paul. And there are others who are saying that they're for Jesus and for Paul. And then there are others who are wondering who they're supposed to agree with. And in our own life, when we talk about Jesus, we need to pay attention. What are the implications here? Because of your faith in Jesus. What is your belief about other people? Who are you for? Are there people that you're against? Does your belief match your attitude? Does your belief match your prejudice? Does your belief come out in your, your voting and your support? There are implications of this verse that I want to invite you to think about when you're going through this week. Are there ways that I talk about Jesus or that I live my faith out that are building on excluding somebody else? Because the truth is there is no proclamation of Christ that is absent of human implication. If you're a note taker or something, I want to invite you to take a note or take a picture of that because I would love for you to sit and think about this a little bit this week. But we're going to move to something very different that's in the text. But I don't want to forget this, okay? So please lock this in somehow and let's talk about it. Let's grab coffee, let, let's, in small groups, whatever. What does this actually look like for us individually, but also for us as a church? When we're together, are there people that we're acting like we're against? We, we need to pay attention. We need to be honest. Or are we for the people who Christ is for? Okay. So now we're going to back up in that verse to the very beginning, where Paul writes, some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry. I've noticed that quite a few of us have found this community after some church hurt. Quite a few of us have found home here because there were other places that we no longer felt at home. Maybe we experienced some hypocrisy, maybe some abuse, maybe some rivalry or envy. Many of us right now, especially at, after 2020, 2021, we're, we're trying to make sense of all of this stuff, and we're, we're wanting to believe in, in Jesus, and we're trying to make sense of some of the other stuff that seems so closely attached, right? Spiritual direction, Therapy, small groups with you guys, walks around Iroquois Park. Those have been helpful ways for me personally to process this in my own life. 
Those have been slow works that I've needed to go through. And it's important to look at how we look at people even during those times when we're healing up, how we make sense of what we've been through. In human nature, our first reaction is to say, they preached out a envy, rivalry, I was hurt, I throw away that season, I throw away everything, because it hurts. And it's just easier to just try to block it out, right? But I want you to pay attention to what Paul says here. After talking about people preaching from envy and rivalry, he says, what does it matter? Just this. That Christ is proclaimed in every way. Whether out of false motives or true. And in that, I rejoice. If I'm honest, when I read that, I want to throw what I'm reading. Or I want to say, Paul must not know what it's like. He must be spitting theory right here. But he's not spitting theory. The people he's writing about are, are lying about him. He's in prison. This is not a theoretical exercise for him. This is, this is his Tuesday. The people who, to us, are just a generic people that we have to call people forward to represent and we have to guess who they are, he knows their names. He probably has eaten meals with them. Then I want to say, is he just excusing and covering up abuse? Because reality is we don't need more of that in our world. We don't need more people at the top getting just passes. That, that has to stop, right? And I don't think that's at all what Paul is doing. I think the Bible never actually does that. The Bible is really clear about what is expected of leaders. And I think Paul knows this. Look at this text in James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's great accountability if you're teaching, if you're leading, if you're influencing other people. You're held to a high standard. If you don't want to be held to that standard, don't, don't teach. That's what that's saying. Be careful. Be careful. Look at these words of Jesus and really think on them. <laughs> Jesus is saying this to people. He says, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's pretty vivid. That cannot be portrayed in a Disney movie. If we saw that it put to film... We'd be like, that's too dark. I don't want to watch that. What Jesus is saying right there is when you come to me, you come by faith like a little kid. Right? And then if somebody takes that young faith and causes it to stumble, whether that's in an 80-year-old's body, a 20-year-old's body, a 4-year-old's body, it doesn't matter. You cause that person to stumble, it's better 
for you to put that big piece of concrete around your neck and jump in the Ohio River. That's some high accountability. We need to pay attention to that. He's not taking it lightly. He's not saying, oh no, uh, they didn't know what they were doing. And in light of this, and because of all this, Paul is not writing that we should let things slide. He believes that God is just and that justice will be done. And so because of that belief, because he believes that God is just, Paul is writing something more complicated and more profound. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus meets us even in the midst of darkness and pain, even when the darkness and pain come from within the church. Jesus still meets us. I've told you before, as, as soon as I experienced Jesus, I, I, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a pastor. And, and growing up in the church that I did, that means you go talk to your youth pastor. And our youth pastor was six foot six and played basketball, so I thought he was really cool too. And I hung out with him all the time. If, if he was home, I was at his home. I, I wanted to, we played video games together. We read the Bible together. He, I, I wanted to know Jesus, and he's the way that I was learning Jesus. We played guitar together and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I, I started inviting everybody in, in my world to youth group with me, and they were not in the youth group world. And, and it was a blast seeing these worlds collide. And then suddenly, my youth pastor resigned because he wanted to become a professional wrestler. <laughs> and he went to go be in the WWF. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And then over the next five years, I heard more and more stories of his life, and I was like, huh, that's weird. That's not who I thought you were. And more and more stories come to light, and I'm like, oh, maybe all of that was fake. But here's the problem. It wasn't. He really hurt some people. He really did. And I really experienced Jesus in real ways. I wanted to throw it all away, but I, I can't. Because I know that I know that I know that I met Jesus there. And he left to be a professional wrestler. In some weird way, those coexist. In college, I, I met Nikki first semester. I tried to get her to marry me as soon as I could. After sophomore year, I started working at this church. We were married. We we're both working at this church. All of life is lovely. A couple years later, they hire in a new pastor, and it's a big church, and I get to preach all the time, and I, I, I'm living large, except for this pastor was manipulating people, spiritually abusing people, hurting people. Money was going missing. I didn't really know this. In fact, we, we just thought all of a sudden there was tension with us and, and with him, and so we quick ran down to Louisville to just get away, because it just didn't feel right anymore. It wasn't fun. It felt like pressure. And we find out that he's really abusing some power. 
And I think, I don't want to ever be a pastor again. I don't know if I ever want to go to church again. And I wanted to throw away, like, my whole 20s. Because I worked there, and I felt like my hands are dirty just working next to you. And I don't like this. People were hurt. People that I love were hurt. People that I love don't believe in Jesus anymore. And in the middle of it, I experienced Jesus. I grew. And there was junk. Both at the same time. And I want to just throw it away, but I can't. And I want people held responsible, and I want all, you know, all of that kind of stuff, but you hear what I'm saying. It's easier if I can just say, I'm, I'm walking away. You see, we live at a time where a lot of people are doing just that. And truthfully, I'm not, I'm not mad at them for it. Last week, I met with two people who, who were active parts of their church, and they're like, I can't do it anymore. One was because of spiritual abuse. The, the other was because the theology being taught didn't fit their life anymore. Like that God can't do anything for these circumstances. And so they walked away, and I, I get that. But here in this community, we're, we're, we're helping reconstruct faith. We're helping each other put things back together and look back and grab a hold of what was true and sort out and name what, what was harmful. That's part of the work here. That's part of what's hard and beautiful about this community. That's part of what we're called to. We want to do this hard work of sorting it all out and finding the times where you experience Jesus and hold on to those. And then the times that were pain and, and wrong, name those. And it's not a real easy process, but it's, it's the process that we have. And honestly, it's rather beautiful in a weird way. There's this imagery that, that I've talked to you guys about before in a, a slow invasion about a year ago. Uh, it, it, here's a photo that represents it. You know, when you, I, I think of when you go across a stream or a river and there's a bunch of stones that you can step on. You ever do that when you were a kid or last week? You like jump from one stone to the next because you don't want to get your feet wet and it's a fun game and, and you've got to kind of navigate your way and maybe you're with a friend and they're navigating a different way. I feel like we're kind of all in the middle of this stream or this river and we've all taken these different stones to get here. Maybe we're all on like an island because we're all standing there. And what I'm learning is th those stones that I once stepped on, those moments of faith that, that I was brought through, some of them I don't ever want to go back to. But they got me here. The strength that God had put in me, it was brought out there. The character that God had worked in us, it, it was brought out there. And I need to go back and I need to name them and acknowledge that they were there. As we were worshiping this, this morning, um, I just felt this reminder in, in my heart of, of one, if you don't mind, I'm going to give you an example. So when I was in high school with, with the six foot six wrestler before he was a wrestler, uh, we went snow tubing, which is what northern people do. 
you lay on a giant inflatable tube and you go down ice on purpose. And you go as fast as you can and you get hurt. And uh, that day I won. I, I did it. We were aiming at this, this ramp in the middle and it was kind of hard to hit the ramp, but I hit it. And after I hit it, my tube flew up. And I had my arms up and I'm trying to pull the tube down, but I didn't get the tube down. Instead, my ribs came down and hit the, hit the ice ridge and then I tumbled down and I collected another concussion and got real hurt and I wake up in the hospital and I wake up in St. Paul. Now, anyone who talks about the cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul, they're twin cities, it's all cute. A Minneapolis kid knows nothing about St. Paul. I might as well have woke up in Taiwan. I do nothing. And, and my, my youth pastor was there, but then he called my parents, and they worked their way all the way to Taiwan to come see me. And, and they, they get there, and they don't know St. Paul either. And I'm in the ER, and then they check me in because i got to stay overnight. And he, here's the thing with memory. There are generalizations that we can make, but really part of what we need to mend and heal, there's actual memories that we have, experiences, right? And my memory is probably, if we went back and watched this moment, I don't know if it's exactly what I remember, but I remember what I remember, right? And so I remember I get to my room and there was a really tiny TV and Cheers was on. And I remember that my youth pastor said, or my youth pastor had already left. He probably had 30 other kids to care for. But I'm just one person. All I remember is he left, right? He had a responsibility. I just remember he left. And I remember my mom said, I need to go be with your brother. And I remember my dad said, I need to fly out to New Jersey. And I remember being like 14, and I'm in what feels like Taiwan, and I'm on oxygen, and I'm on pain meds, and I'm terrified. And to this day, I remember that there was a chair right here under a window right next to me. And I remember about half the night wondering, why is nobody sitting in this chair? Fast forward to like two years ago. And I'm trying to make sense of my life. And I'm praying. And I'm reading things. And like, Lord, why, why do I... I feel like you want me to trust you more. And I feel super resistant to that. I want to do everything on my own. And I don't hear God's voice. Nothing like that. But I remember that room. And that chair. I just have this sense in me that Jesus is saying, I was there. I was there. And all of a sudden, stuff just like loosed. Like, oh, you mean I wasn't alone? And how many times have I thought I was alone? And how big is this theme of being alone that comes from this dumb snow tubing accident? And just things started to change in me. And I started remembering other moments of God's faithfulness that were at the same time as my pain or relational failure or leadership failure, all of that, and just started to remember and started to mend. I started to trust again. See, I think that's what Paul is talking about here a little bit. When somebody 
lets us down accidentally. I think my youth pastor just made the wrong call. I, th- I think my parents didn't know what to do. That's kind of the pattern. When, when they got panicked, they just went to what was familiar, which meant like, I'm going to go take care of your brother, I'm going to go to work. It's just broken like I am. But it left this pretty good-sized wound in me that felt extremely leavable and extremely lonely and like i got to figure it out myself. So when it's accidental or when it's on purpose, when it's from rivalry or envy, when people harm us, what Paul is talking about here is that bad motives can't stop God. The verses before that we didn't get to talk about, circumstances like being imprisoned, like being shackled to a guard, like feeling all of that shame, can't stop God. You can't stop what God is doing. And I don't mean some like triumphant, nationalistic kind of way that sometimes that's said. No, I mean in this mending, healing, whole, shalom kind of way. We know that, but we have this letter that they thought prison, putting Paul in prison for treason would stop God from working through Paul, and here we are, 2,000 years later, reading that letter. You can read or listen to Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, that we are a few generations after, still inspired by the way that he, he talks from that prison. We have Bonhoeffer's letters from, from prison that people are inspired by and moved by. Circumstances cannot Stop what God is doing. They just come at the same time. And that's not easy. And I'm not pretending that it is. See, I know that many of you have been hurt, and those wounds are still there. And the grace for us today is that Jesus, that Jesus that you experienced back then, he will sustain you now. He's real. The moment where you know that you felt comfort or strength in a way that you can't explain, in a way that doesn't make sense, in the midst of circumstances that don't make sense, in some of those darkest days, the pain, the abuse, will heal from. And Jesus will deal with that justly. The strength that you have will produce fruit as we continue together. But this week... I want to invite you to ask God to help you remember. And I don't know what it is that I want to ask you to ask God to remember. But maybe take some time and just sit and remember. And for some of us, that might need to happen with a therapist. It might need to happen with a spiritual director, a friend, a small group. If that's the case, do it. That's, that's hard, good work. If you need a reference for a therapist or spiritual, anything, come talk to me. But let's ask God to help us remember because as we remember, we begin to mend and heal. And we remember differently. We begin to see Jesus in the midst of it. And and stuff starts starts to change. We become whole. Let that courage grow as circumstances and motives, jealousy and rivalry. None of these things can slow God down 
from showing you that you are the beloved. As we close, we're going to close with communion. So go ahead and raise your hand if you need the elements.